Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles today, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 119. We're going to start all the way from 97 and go to 104. So Psalm 119, verse 97 through 104. And as you're turning to this, uh, once again, the notes are uh, given to you by your life group uh, leaders, or if you don't have or you're not part of one, you can scan the QR code and get the notes right there. If you remember, the purpose of this series this summer was very simple. We looked at it as very three reasons why we decided to do this sermon series called The Practice. The first reason is we wanted to grow in our intimacy with God. One of the major issues that many of you have, and many of us, and myself as well, is that we are not growing in our intimacy with God. This is why Christianity is just a religion that you just practice on Sunday. It has not invaded every single part of your life. And this is why many of us struggle in our lives because we do not have our intimacy with God locked down. This is why by practicing these things, Whatever the spiritual habits are, this is going to help you to grow in your intimacy with God. That's why in our life group, the things that we talk about on Sunday is what we cover so that we may be able to practice some of the things that will help us to grow in our intimacy with God. The second thing is that we want to go deeper in discipleship. And I'll share a little bit more in my message, but I'm just realizing as I'm spending time with people, you know, some people I only see maybe an hour every other week. Some of you, I don't really see that much in terms of uh, interaction. I might see you on Sunday and say hi. But now I have these mission guys for 24-7, minus a sleeping time. And some of them, they they invade your sleep because they snore. But, you know, we have them 24-7. So I watch them and I see them and everything that things have been brought up to me about some of these people, of things that they're struggling with. And some of them I have counseled. Now, as I see them 24-7, I'm realizing that some of the discipleship that they have gone through was really shallow. Now, this is no disrespect to any of you who have discipled some of these people. But I'm realizing that we are so content with so little. That the kind of discipleship that's going to transform lives and the kind of discipleship that's going to make an impact in this world has to come forth from people who deeply know God and know Jesus Christ and willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. And that's why that is the kind of church, at least I want to try to pastor, and that's the kind of church I want to be a part of because you can go to any other church if you just want to hear whatever your tickling ears want to hear, and you can go to church and just be comfortable, do your Sunday thing, and then Monday through Saturday live your own life. That is not the kind of church we want to be. And I can say this emphatically and with conviction because I have seen what's going on in China. For the last two weeks, we have been in China. And the things that we're hearing and the people and their faith, even in the midst of persecution, you realize the kind of faith that we have in Hong Kong, it is not going to survive when persecution comes. This is why we need to go deeper in our discipleship. Some of you might have been discipled in college. Now you don't have anyone to disciple you as you're in the city ministry. Get discipled. Ask people that you respect and people that you, where you might want to be uh, because they're a little bit further along. You got to ask. They're not going to come and say, can I please disciple you? You're the most handsomest person in the whole wide world. They're, they're not going to do that. You need to go seek to get discipled because some of these leaders already have many other people that they're discipling. So it's not that they have all the time in the world. It is crucial that this is something that you are committed to if you want to live for Jesus Christ. You cannot go through just on your own and just trying to do your Christian thing on Sunday. You have to get discipled and you have to go deeper. That means getting to the crevices of your heart, those areas that you still have strongholds in that you're not willing to let go. And that's why you're still struggling with what you are and where you are. And here you are saying, I really want to grow, but something keeps on holding you back. Because you haven't been discipled to the level that you, need, you should be discipled. 
And I'm praying that God will provide that for you. And the third and last reason is we want to get ready for the new year. And I'm excited for what God is going to do. Just spending some time with some of the people on this missions project. Many of them are leaders. And just being able to invest in them, pour into them, helping them to connect the dots of all the things that they've been learning, the teachings about leadership. And we're experiencing it on the ground and the next day even. And we're seeing God work powerfully. So we're excited for all that God is doing. And so the last two weeks, via video, I hope it was presentable, but via video we covered two of the practices, the practice of praise and the practice of giving. Those two practices are an outflow of your relationship with God. You will not be able to give Him praise if you're not growing and experiencing God. You're not going to have a heart of generosity unless you're experiencing God's generous grace. And that comes through discipleship, that comes through intimacy with God, and that's why it is a habit that you have to develop in your life. Listen very carefully, you're not going to get this just by sitting there every single Sunday. I will guarantee you that. You are not going to grow in your praise or your giving just by hearing a message and sitting there. It is a spiritual habit. It is a spiritual exercise, a spiritual practice that you have to actually start doing and then you see the spiritual muscles growing because you are practicing it over and over and over again and I pray that these two practices that we have talked about thus far the praise and the giving it is being evident right now in your life in your life group and in our church today I want to talk about the practice of studying the Bible I'm not going to go over so much the practicals of how to study it. That's going to come this coming week in your life group. You're going to practice how to study the Bible. We're going to give you different tools and resources so that you can really commit to studying the Bible. I'm just going to talk here about why it is so important to study the Bible. In the next some minutes that I have with you, I'm trying to convince you that without studying the Bible and understanding the Word of God, that you cannot grow. You will not grow in your discipleship. You will not grow in your intimacy with God. And you will not be ready for this new coming year. I pray that the, whatever is said today and whatever you talk about and practice in life group this coming week, that it will put a fire in your heart. It will inspire you so that anything else becomes less of a priority because the Word of God is the most essential thing in your life. That's why I want to start off, and I'm just wondering, I'm wondering how many of us in here are experts on something. I want you to think about that for a moment. Now, you might not be a world expert, but maybe amongst your friends, people in your life group, maybe even in our church. When you think about a person who's an expert in something, oftentimes you realize that this person has not a lot of knowledge. Not only knowledge, but you'll realize that they were very experienced because they've gone through it. They have dealt with that or they have interacted with that material, whatever it is. You will also notice that this person has done a lot of study. This person has done a lot of in investigating and learning. And as they're learning, they're applying. And as you begin to listen to their story, you realize, wow, this person is wise. This person really understands this material or this topic. So whether it's with electronics, whether it's with history, or even a hobby that you may have, one of the things you'll realize is that anyone to be an expert in a topic or to be well-versed, it takes time. And I want to challenge us to think about that. You do not become an expert or you do not become well-versed in something just overnight. It is just years and months and weeks and days and hours of practicing over and over and learning constantly to get to a point where now you could teach other people. I want to show you this quick video. I thought it was kind of interesting because in China, they, the teacher took a video of this one child who was trying to prepare and get ready for an exam. And I want you to see what this child does because this child is trying to absorb the information as best as possible so they can do well on the exam. So let's watch this together. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? But this is the thing. 
I'm wondering how many of us wish that if we could do that with the Bible, that somehow we'll just magically know this Bible. You might not try to scoop up the Bible in the Word and try to put it on your head. But all I know is you cannot hear a message just on one Sunday and think that you're going to grow. It might inspire you. It might challenge you. It might rebuke you. It might cause you to maybe just get a little bit more motivated to try to live according to God's Word. But I'm telling you right now, and it's, it's sad to say it as a pastor who's preaching every single week, but just by hearing the Word of God and the preaching just alone, it's not going to deeply transform. I believe it can, but by itself, I'm wondering if there's something else we need, which I believe is the practice of studying the Bible. That's why this morning, um, I want to emphasize how important it is. It's so important that one of the things that we decided to do in our missions project, and it's only been about a little over two weeks now, but we have decided, the leaders and I decided that we're going to study the book of Ephesians. In fact, book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It talks about our intimacy with God and then our, our, excuse me, our identity with God and then our intimacy with God and our influence for Christ. That's how the book is broken up. And those are all three things that I always preach on that I feel like it's so important to be a Christian and to live out your Christian life. And so we've decided we're going to go over this book. Every single morning we wake up, after we get ready, before we do anything else, we end up studying the book of Ephesians. Pretty much it's my mini sermon. I'm preaching every single day. And I'm sharing with them some of the different insights and different things that they might not normally understand. We're looking into the Greek. We're looking into different aspects of this word. There's a lot of cross-referencing. There's a lot of examples from life that I give. We do this for an hour. Sometimes it can go two hours. But we spend every single morning studying the book of Ephesians. And this is how intense it is. As I mentioned, it's been a little over two weeks. For, but for the last two weeks, guess what? We've only covered chapter one. That's it. So if you do the math, what is it, 20, uh, 23 some verses in the book of Ephesians? Chapter 1, that means we have covered close to one or two verses each day. That's how intense it is. Because we're looking at every single word, every single phrase, every single sentence, and what is it about God's word in the book of Ephesians that has relevance for us. And it's been exciting just to see light bulbs go on, turn on. It's exciting to see many of these people hungering and taking down notes and saying, this is what I need. This is what we're going to experience. This is what I've gone through this past year. Here's the sad part. Why is it that many of us have to go on a missions project to experience something like this? You don't need the missions project to study the Bible. And to get the insights. And to allow the word of God to penetrate deep into your lives. In reality, the fact of the matter is many of us have excuses. And I was just sitting here just thinking about the message and I said, what are some of the excuses I have made over the years? What are some of the excuses that I hear from people as I counsel them? What are some of the excuses that many of us we make and the reason why that there's a lot of us here. If we took a blind survey to find out how many of us really study the Word. I'm not just talking about soap or just a Bible reading or devotion, but actually studying the Word of God. I don't know if it's going to be very encouraging. And once again, that is not the kind of church we want to be. I pray that we will be, like it says in the book of Acts, like the Bereans, who examine carefully the Word of God that has been, been preaching to them by Apostle Paul, along with as they study the Scriptures for themselves. And as I was thinking about this, as we thoroughly go over the book of Ephesians, I'm like, couldn't we do this when we get back? Couldn't you devote some time 
It might not be an hour. It might not be two hours, but devote at least some time. And just even if it means going over one verse or even half a verse, because they realize you can go over half a verse and spend a whole hour on it. To just go over half a verse and just to study it, even though that means it's going to take you five more years to finish that book, but you are actually studying the Word of God. So some of the excuses that I wrote down that we have made over the years, number one, it's too hard to understand. I hear that all the time. It's just too hard to understand. I'm going to say this to you. If he told me that maybe about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I'll have a lot of compassion on you. Because you had to buy books this big, commentaries to help you to understand some of these verses. Now there is absolutely zero excuse. All you have to do is type in whatever that passage and you will have a a whole array of materials that helps you to understand that. If I had that when I was in seminary, I might have done a little bit better. I mean, I was just thinking to myself, can you imagine the amount of resources that you have available that's free? You don't have to buy all these seminary books. I have tons of them. I have hundreds, hundreds of books. Spent thousands and ten thousands of dollars over the years. But now everything is online for free that you have access to. So even though it might be hard to understand, you have no excuse because you have the resources. The second reason I thought about, it's boring. Huh. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be straight up with you. I, I didn't come all the way from China or Thailand just to be nice. Listen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I did come from Thailand. I need to go back tomorrow early morning. But listen. It's boring because you have no desire for God. If I gave you some examples of things that might be really boring and really dumb, but you delight in it, it's because you love it. Just think about some of the things that you do with people or towards people that you really like. I mean, I'm just thinking like, you literally went through their whole Instagram (laughs) from like five years ago. What is your problem? You start off in the bathroom and you go to your bedroom. And you, 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 you're just scrolling. Why? Because you like that person. You're interested in knowing that person. I could look at that and that's really boring. What a waste of time. See, it's boring to you because the very thing, the Word of God, you do not delight in. Because you do not delight in God. So whenever I hear things like, oh, it's boring because you have no desire for God. So that's where sometimes you have to go to your heart and check. Second reason, or third reason I thought about is too time consuming. (laughs) Do you know what dish is the most time consuming dish out of all the dishes? Korean food. The prep work is incredible. The amount of... But when my wife cooks me Korean food, I know there's a lot of love in it because it takes a lot of time. If she just orders delivery, I'm like, okay, she's busy. I think you spend three hours almost every other day working out. Isn't that time consuming? You spend what? 50 minutes getting ready? Some of us, we could just put on, we sleep in our clothes. We get up and we're ready to go in five minutes. There are a lot of things in life that's time consuming, but you do it. And the reason why you do it is because you love it. So the word of God, if it's time consuming and you don't want to do it, guess what? It shows that there's no love for it. Here's the fourth reason. It is only for trained people. <laughs> So you're trained, you're getting paid, so you you, you start teaching me. This is the problem. It's not just for trained people. In fact, the Bible reminds us that we should all be trained as disciples who handles the Word of God. 
So here are the excuses. Which one have you chosen? I'm sure there's some that it's not even on this list that you have made. And as I was thinking about this, I realized there are a lot of things in life that we need to learn because we see the benefits of. We need to learn how to study the Bible because we have to see, or once we see the benefits of studying the Bible, then we will commit ourselves to it. That's when we will start practicing and building that habit of studying the Bible. Let me give you an example, another example. Just think about some of the things that you did not see the benefits of, but later on you did. For example, budgeting. Some of you college students, you have no idea. La-di-da, you know, your parents give you the money, you wait for the scholarship to come in, and you spend it all in one month, and then you're scrapping and making bread for yourself, and just things are hard. That's how I could always tell the scholarship came in. Because at certain times, like, when I meet with them, no coffee, no nothing. But then all of a sudden, they're ordering a, you know, venti cappuccino with all the stuff. I'm like, oh, scholarship came in. You don't see the benefits of budgeting because some of you have to never budget. But wait until you start working. Some of you who are working is you still haven't learned how to budget. Just wait until you start getting in debt. And then you realize, oh, budgeting is very important. It's a skill that I need, that I need to practice. Same with guitar. You go into life group and it stinks. Everything stinks. The, the guitar playing stinks. The voice stinks. Everything stinks. No one knows how to play guitar. But you played piano when you were younger, like seven years old. Ding, 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 ding. And you're like, okay, I have some love for music. And you realize, I'm going to practice guitar. Why? Because you see a need and you realize that's going to benefit the life group because you have at least some musical background. Are you with me? The thought continues in that way. You don't see the benefits of it until later on, and that's when hopefully you will be inspired to do it. So let me give you some of the benefits of studying the Bible, and then we'll just and then look into the Word. What are the benefits of studying the Bible, and what happens when you The first thing is you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. The reason why, once again, as I shared earlier, you struggle with some of the things you struggle with because you do not have knowledge of God. Some of you do have knowledge of God, but you've lacked the faith to trust that he will follow through in what he says. And this is why some of your spiritual lives are so shallow because you do not have this deep knowledge of who God is. So when you study the Bible, you understand more of who God is. And that will help you to, to not only trust in him, but then it'll help you to love him more because he will always be faithful to his word. So it'll help you to grow in your knowledge of God. The second thing is this. It'll give you, it'll help you to gain confidence as God speaks to you. It's amazing when you know that God speaks to you through his word and it's a promise that he has given in his word and you take it to heart, you apply it and you trust in it, you, you live it out, you live confidently. I have yet to meet. Okay, if, 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 you, if you're this person that I haven't met yet, then you come up to me and introduce yourself. I have yet to meet a person who knows the Word of God so deeply that's not confident. But I have met a lot of insecure people who lack the courage, who lack the confidence in who God is and what he says. I met a lot of those Christians. And one thing that I can say that is consistent in all these people, because I have done 10, 000, over 10,000 hours of counseling over all my years of being a pastor. I've counseled a lot of people. And the one thing that I can say is a constant thread is those people who are insecure, they lack the confidence, they're focused on themselves. Many of them do not know the Bible. Here we are trying to pray more, trying to do things more. But what it really comes down to is that you just got to understand God's heart through his word. That's why you don't have the confidence. Any Christian that you meet that's come, not cocky, not in his own abilities or her own abilities, but a confident Christ follower who knows the word of God, I'm telling you right now, that word has gone deeply into their lives and they believe it and they live according to it. They're not swayed by people. They don't care about what people say. Not that they don't care about people, but they are not 
phased by their criticism. Some of you crumble as soon as someone criticizes you because you try so hard to please them rather than trying to please God. God who you're going to be accountable to one of these days. Confident people know the word of God and they live it, they believe it, and they trust in it and they live according to it. Here's another benefit. When you know the word of God, the benefit is that you will govern your life with truth. That you live your life so that you govern your life with truth. That's another thing you could tell when a person really knows the word of God. You heard me say this many times before. We talked about even sola scriptura. We talked about that. That some of you, when you're trying to counsel people or give advice to people, it is more secular than anything else. I think it's Confucianism. That's why one of the things that I'm training the leaders to do, every single time you open your mouth and give any kind of counseling, give the word of God. Back it up with scripture. That's why these leaders need to memorize scripture. That's why I'm trying to encourage those of you who are getting discipled by me to memorize scripture, to read the word of God. Because every single time you open your mouth and you try to give a nice advice, oftentimes that's not biblical. Some of you take Bible passages and take it out of context because it sounds good, but when you put it into the context, it's not the right context because you haven't studied the Word. Number four, you guard yourself from lies and spiritual battle. Not that you won't face it, but you can overcome it. The Word of God is a sword. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about that. And therefore, it's going to help you to guard against the lies that Satan will put in there. You know, once again, same thing. As I'm counseling people, I, I'm amazed at how many lies that people believe in. And they call themselves a Christian. They have been a believer for many, many years. And I realize the disconnect is because they don't really know the Word of God and they don't live according to what the Bible says. They don't believe it. That's why you're struggling. That's why you keep on going through that cycle of stronghold over and over again. Lastly, is that you get equipped and trained. That's what the Bible says. That the Word of God, it will fully equip you. Many of us, we're not equipped, and we're trying to do things in our own strength and power. I'm wondering what would happen to our churches, every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ here, that we are deeply in love with the Word of God. We're studying the Word of God. It will equip us to help minister to people. It will equip us to help serve in different ways. It will equip us to live our lives for His glory. What would our church be like if we had those types of people? If all these things are true, then why is it that so many Christians do not study the Bible? I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. N.T. Wright once said this, the Bible is the book of life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, the book I want to die by. Can you say the same thing as N.T. Wright said? It's the book that I live with, it's the book that I live by, and the book that I want to die by. I pray that somehow this morning there will be a spark, a fire that will start in us to study the Bible this coming week and for the rest of our lives. And once you start practicing it in your life group, that you keep on keeping each other accountable, that it will be a practice that you do unconsciously, and you will see some dramatic transformation in your life. Uh, we want to talk about practicing on the study of the Bible, and I, I just want us to remember the one thing. Here's the one thing, that we grow stronger when we hunger for God's Word. You're going to grow stronger in your mind, in your heart, with your emotions, You'll grow stronger in your interactions with people. You'll grow stronger in just even having the sense of fortitude when you think about your future, when things are chaotic around you, when we begin to hunger for this Word of God. Because when we hunger for something, we desire it, we want it. So we grow stronger as we hunger for God's Word. I'm going to talk about two things in this passage, starting from verse 70 or 97 all the way to 104. The first thing is this, that we must delight in God's Word. Part of hungering after God and hungering for His Word is that we have to delight in Him, delight in His Word. 
I'm going to go ahead and read verse 97 for us. It says this. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The first thing that we see is that the psalmist is claiming that he loves God's law. Now, throughout the Bible, and especially here in Psalm 119, because it is an acrostic, each one of these sections that you see is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And when you read the whole book of 100, uh, Psalm 119, what you will notice is that the psalmist uses various different Hebrew words to talk about God's word. For example, he uses words such as law, as you just saw. He uses words as commands, decrees, precepts, statutes, and word. You'll see this over and over, even the word testimony. You will see this constantly throughout the book of Psalm 119. And also, you will see it even in this section, in verses 97 through 104. Here in 97, verse 97, he uses the word law, and that word law means Torah in the Hebrew word. And those of us who know, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And so when you think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these five books, they were known as the Torah or the law. And it is this law where the word of God that has been spoken through Moses, this is the law that this psalmist loves. In fact, the psalmist, psalmist loves the law of God so much that it has become his meditation. That means that he thinks about it all the time because he realized where he focuses is what he's going to move towards, and that's why he's meditating it all the days. Listen to what it says in Psalm 1, verse 2 in the ESV. It says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we see this theme again of delighting God's word, and you delight in it as you meditate it on day and night. Here's the voice translation. It says, For you, the eternal word is your happiness. It is, come on, say this with me, your focus from dusk to dawn. It is your focus. What you focus on is what you love. And I'm trying to help people to understand this. Is that if you look at it, is that what you love is what you will think about. Isn't that true? What you love is what you will think about and what you will focus on. Let's say you love success. Then what you're going to be thinking about is a lot about your grades, a lot about your promotion, a lot about things that you have or don't have. Because why? Because that is your love. You think that somehow success will bring you happiness. So you put all your attention, all your focus on it, all your time. So you don't have time for people. You don't have time for life group. You don't have time for other people because it's all about your success. Just think about it. You fill in the blank with whatever that is, what you love. This is why sometimes one of the things that I try to teach people is that if you're in a relationship, guy-girl relationship, and all you do is spend time with one another and that's it, then that relationship is probably a lot about lust and about yourself. Pastor, that's really offensive. Yeah, but let me tell you why. Some of the most healthiest relationships that I've seen are people who are in a relationship and they realize that God brought them together, not just for each other, but God brought them together so that at this moment of time that they could also be a blessing to others. That's why I've seen so many couples over the years when as soon as they get into relationship, all their time, all their energy is spent on one another. I'm not saying that's wrong to spend time together, but all their time, all their energy, that they don't show up for life group, they don't have time to serve on a ministry team, they don't have time for anything, even reading the word of God. Because why? All their time is spent with one another, going out, doing things. Once again, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but I'm saying all the time. So then you make it about you. You make it about just that other person. And my question and my challenge was when you were single, how often and how hard did you struggle with loneliness? Somehow we just conveniently forget about that. Rather than saying, this is a gift from God. 
that God has brought this person into my life, and I know that this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And so as we're spending time together, because there's nothing wrong with that, but we also have a responsibility to minister to other people. So, hey, let's invite that person from that one life group because it seems like they're always alone. Let's invite them and let's have it together. But Pastor 3 is a crowd. Depends on how you look at it. Because then by you coming together to serve and to minister unto that person who's struggling and being by themselves, you, you are becoming more like Jesus than anything else as if you were to spend all this time doing all this stuff together. That's why I'm arguing that if all you do is spend all the time just between you and, and no one else, you don't have time for God, you don't have time for other people and for church and all the loss. If you don't do any of those things, then I would say your relationship is based on lust rather than love. And that relation would not last. That's why if you are in a relationship, you should be thinking, if we do love the things of God, not only can I love you and you can love me, but we can love the things of God, the mission of God, the lost people, the people of God who belongs to him, that we can encourage and lift up. And those who are lost, that so we can now do things together that we could do better together than by ourselves. So what is my point? What you love is what you will think about. And what you think about will continue to fuel what you love. And here is a psalmist saying, God, your word, your law is what I focus on, what I think about and meditate on all day. Now, please don't take that literally. Because can you imagine if he's thinking about the law, all that, he, he, he won't take out the garbage, he won't do dishes. You, you see what I'm saying? But he's thinking about God. He's focusing on why am I doing the dishes? Why am I going to life group? Why am I serving? Because it's about God's law, which is expressed, which expresses his heart. Let's read verse 98 through 100. It says this, as we have to learn how to delight in God's law. Your commandments makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age for I keep your precepts. So you see just even in these two verses, all the different synonyms for God's word. And one of the things that I want to highlight for you is that in these verses, in these three verses, actually, the psalmist is explaining God's word in relation to others around us. This is what I want you to notice. In essence, the psalmist understood that it was God and his word who makes him wise more than these three groups of people. Who are the three groups of people? The first one is this, his enemies. In verse 98, God says God com God's commandments makes him wiser than his enemies because it is always with him. There is something powerful of knowing God's word that will dumbfound those who are against you. Not in a prideful way, but more of how you live your life in light of knowing his word. That even there are people who are your enemies at work, there might be co-workers who are cutthroat, they don't like you because they see you advancing more than themselves, they've been in the job or position longer than you, but you have more favor with the boss because it's God's favor upon you. It might be someone in your friend group, whatever the case may be, there might be people out to get you or you considered as your enemy. They don't like you and you're trying to live your life for God. And what the psalmist is saying is that even your enemies, what if you meditate and love the word of God, that you're going to be wiser than them. They're going to have little tricks that they're going to try to use against you, but God will give you the revelation. God will help you to, to learn to obey and know his heart. Can I ask you, is anyone against you? Do you feel like people are against you? Do you feel like there are forces or things that are coming against you? The word of God, it says here, will help you to be wiser. This is why the Israelites were commanded to do as, to meditate on these words. Why? Because they were getting ready to go into the promised land. What was in the promised land? Enemies. The Hittites, the Amorites, and there were enemies in this land. But God was reminding them of the word. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 through 8. I'm going to read it up here and 
Read the yellow section with me. It says this. See, I have taught you statutes and the rules. So once again, we see these synonyms for the word of God. As the Lord my God commanded me that what you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So as, as God taught us these words, that we ought to obey them and do them. And then it says this in verse 6. Say this together with me. Keep them and do them. Once again, obedience. Not just studying and then just having head knowledge, but do them, for that will be your what? Your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statues, they will say, and here's the key, surely this great nation is a, a wise and understanding people. Can you imagine? I'm going to just pause here. Can you imagine that when you have the word of God in your life, that there will be people, even your enemies, who will say, wow, this person, they, they really have this wisdom and understanding. And it says this in verse 7, For what great nation is there that what has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? How awesome would that be if our enemy said that to us? Whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has what? Statues and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. So here's God speaking to Moses and telling the Israelite people, as you're about to enter into the promised land, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be enemies before you. But keep the word so that people will see your life and the way you live according to the word of God, that there was a surely this is a great nation. In that way, you humble some of your enemies, that they might try to get at you, but you're loving, you're forgiving, because that's the word of God says, and they, they, they get dumbfounded and confounded, and they're frustrated because they don't know what they can do to you to get you angry, but, but the word of God is residing in you because you're meditating on it, you're focused on it all day. Here's another group of people that he mentions. Not only the, you're going to be wiser than the enemies, our enemies, but the teachers, our teachers. As you know, it is great to have teachers because they are always wiser and further along than us. That's why we learn from professors. We learn from teachers and older leaders and disciples. But in verse 99, as we just read, the psalmist is saying that by meditating God's word, we have more understanding than all our teachers. <laughs> I want you to just meditate on that for a moment. That when we are focused and meditating and receiving and studying, if you will, the Word of God, it says that we will be wiser and we will have more understanding than all our teachers. And the question is why? Because all the teachers, and especially in this context, even the psalmist and his teachers, all the teachers will get their learning from other sources and their own personal study. But here's the thing. The reason why you have more understanding and you could be wiser than these teachers is because we have the Holy Spirit that can speak to us that's greater than any wise sage or teacher. Through the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us directly and He uses His Word to address things in our hearts that oftentimes teachers cannot see. This is why it's important. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, about God's Word? That His Word is what? Sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to pierce and go into our joints and marrows. It gets into our hearts. It helps us to see because the Word of God is there. Same in the book of James. It talks about that. That someone who looks at the Word of God is a person who's looking in the mirror. And then if they do not obey, as if they're walking away and forget what they look like. What it's teaching here is the reason why you can have more understanding and be wiser than even the teachers who know scholarly stuff. What he's saying is that they cannot see your heart, but the Holy Spirit can. Can I get a good amen? The Holy Spirit can't. That's why it cuts into our hearts, our joints and marrows, because when the Word of God it speaks to us, it speaks to us because it is God's Word. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will give you more understanding about yourself and about the situation that you're in than other people. 
Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk to older people or even teachers or pastors or counselors. No, those things are good. But you cannot depend on them more than depending on the Word of God. God's Word is able to speak to you that will make you wiser than even some of the teachers. The third group of people is this. He talks about how you will be wiser and have more understanding not only over your enemies and your teachers, but over the aged elders, older people. I'm going to say something that might offend some of us, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. I wanted you to miss me and just be like, oh, we missed, but now you're going to be like, I'm glad he's going to be gone. This, you know, he's gone on Monday. We don't want to hear from him ever again. In this Asian culture, there's something about age that we reverence so much that actually it's going to fool you. Let me pause here and give a little bit of a caveat so you understand where I'm coming from. I think it's a good thing because you see this in Scripture about honoring, respecting those who are older than us, our parents. I think those things are great. And hopefully that's something that's consistent with not only the Asian culture, but it's a biblical thing. But what I'm talking about is some of us are so conditioned that just because someone is older and they say something, you take it as if it's God's word. I have a problem with that. Because I've seen a lot of old people who are giving some really bad advice that are not biblical. If I were to ask them, like, where did you get that? They go, well, this older person, they told me this. I go, where in the Bible do you see that? And they realize they don't know where to back it up. And then I go to that person, if I were to do that, and say, hey, I heard you gave this advice to this person. Can you back it up with Scripture? Where does it say so in the Bible? They're like, well, because uh, yeah. they don't know what to say. Because what they're sharing from is not from the Word of God, but from their experience and also maybe some kind of folk religion even, or a good humanistic values. But it's not biblical. But this is the problem. Just because someone is older does not mean that they know God, nor do they love God. Some people who are older can put on all the image of saying the right things at the right time. They could even quote sometimes verses. But if you're giving them absolute authority over your lives just because they're older, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be a fool according to what the Bible says. You respect them, you love them, but just because they're older does not mean that they have literally authority over it. The Word of God does. And that's why the psalmist says that he has more understanding than the aged. Because he keeps God's precepts. He knows it. Listen to other translation of verse 100. I'm going to read up here. Listen to what it says. I am even wiser than what? My elders, for I have kept your commandments, that you will be wiser than even some of the older people because you are listening to God and you are obeying his word. I don't care how old you are, but if you know the word of God and you obey it, you are going to be wiser than anyone who is older than you. Yes, you might not have some of the experiences that they have. Because they're married, they have kids, or they have sent off kids to college. Yes, they have more experience. They have experienced death of a loved one. They've gone through a lot of stuff in life. Backstabbing, they've been hurt. God's really, they probably have more experience than you. But it says here that the word of God, when you know it and you obey the precepts, the laws of God, that you will be wiser than even the older person or the oldest person in the room. Here's the voice translation or message translation. Listen to what it says. I've become wiser than what? The wise old sages simply by doing what you tell me. Is God your final authority? Is his word what dictates and guides you? The thing is that older people derive their wisdom from their experience. But regardless of our age, we must gain wisdom from God's word. That's why Apostle Paul told Timothy the importance of not allowing age to hinder his ministry to the people, but rather set an example. 
which comes from knowing the word of God. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life in love and faith and in purity. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your age, but as you know the word of God, live it out and it will set forth an example. Let's do this last huddle group. Well, actually, we don't have time. Sorry. I'm going to just finish off. I'm, I just got too excited here. But can I ask you, maybe in the form of a question so you could think about it, and then we can close out with this last point, which is going to be much shorter. Why is it hard to delight in God's Word, even though we know that it could transform us? Why do we underestimate the power of God's Word and allow others to dictate how we live our lives? Not only must we delight in God's word, but let's close out. We must depend on God's word. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 101, 102, make a comment, and then I want to close out with verse 103. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. It's interesting now, as he shifts the focus a little bit, talks about I'm wiser, I have more understanding than all these three groups of people. He mentions about how God's work can prevent him and prevent us from turning to evil or slipping or falling away. In verse 101, he uses the phrase, I hold back my feet. Because it is usually the feet, if you look at the illustration, that it guides us or moves us towards something. So he says, I hold back my feet from evil. So when you know the word of God, it prevents you, as you're depending on him, that it prevents you from going in that direction. 102, it says what? I do not turn aside from your rules. So this idea of turning to the left or turning to the right rather than sticking to the path that God has called you, it is about disobedience or distraction that causes us to turn. The reason he's able to do this is because of this increasing understanding of God through his word. The psalmist is more aware of what God's word says, and that's why he's able to not only depend on God and his word, but it prevents him from turning to other things. I want you to also notice here, it is something that is taught and learned. You don't get this automatically just because you come on Sunday. You have to practice this. This has to be taught and also learned. I wanted to uh, have Kieran come out really quick, and he's going to share for a couple minutes. Uh, he just participated in, in half of the trip because of work, but then he's going to join us a little bit later um, because he was able to get, I don't know, work from home or whatever status that was, but uh, he's going to join us again. And I wanted him to share because there's this one particular story that I think will really remind us the importance of this truth how God's word and then application of it and preparing ourselves for what is ahead is so important that will keep us on the path rather than turning left. It's part of discipleship. And we learned this from one of the churches. And all I can say is this. You think our church is intense? Then don't go to China. You're going to get stumbled. I'm telling you right now, I felt like we were on a resort on a beach just chilling. That's our, that's our church compared to some of these churches in China, and the way they're living out their faith. It humbled every single one of our team members. And that's why all those people who ever complained about, oh, it's so hard, we have so many meetings, so many things. If they ever say something, then you say, what did you learn on a missions project? All right, remember to tell them that. It's a different world. That's why I want you to wake up. Because if you think that, oh, this is so hard, I'm telling you right now, I'm wondering if we have to ask ourselves, are we really living this Christian life? I just want to emphasize, it's not about doing more things or hard things. The key thing is that they use the Word of God to train people, to get them to a point where they can lay down their lives to share the gospel with those who have never heard. And that's what the psalmist is trying to say. He's saying part of learning how to focus as he meditates on the Word of God is that he will not turn to the left or right. He will hold back his feet so that he will not turn towards evil. But he wants to do the will of God. And it has to be through the word of God that will enable you to do the will of God. 
God reminded Joshua of this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 9. Listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. You can read the yellow section with me. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate. I should have highlighted this word, but it says do not deviate from them. Come on, say this with me. Turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. And what does it say? Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. We see that in the Psalms again. So that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you be prosper. You will prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Apostle Paul says this same concept even to Timothy. Listen to what it says in First uh, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 17. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So it's not something that you can just get. You got to learn it. It has to be taught. Knowing from whom you've learned it. So there are people that will be involved in your life that you will teach you these things. But it's also God, the Holy Spirit. And from childhood, you have been what? Acquainted with the sacred writings which you were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures God breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So once again, we are reminded here that it's the word of God that we need to depend on so that it will help us to live the life that God has called us to live. The more understanding that you get from God's word, the more you have this hatred for sin and evil. And the more you begin to say, I don't want to live this way, that's when there will be a greater desire to love God and to please him. In 103 and verses 103 and verses 104, the psalmist almost, he, he, he summarizes everything that he was saying in the previous five verses. He compares God's word to like honey. He values God's word more than any pleasure in the world. If you look at verse 104, we see that through God's precepts or his words, there's understanding. And remember this, as you have understanding and you begin to obey them, that's when you realize, wow, everything God says is true. You delight in it. You want to meditate more on it. And then out of this obedience, this is where you long and thirst for the Word of God. Do you, do you remember what we talked about before? I pray that this is something that will be in your mind as we talked about this whole intimacy with God. When we talk about the intimacy with God, the way you grow intimate with God is the knowledge of God. And that's through the Bible. You cannot be intimate without knowing. That's why the Bible right here, studying the Word, it's going to be the process in which you're going to get more intimate with God. So as you begin to have this knowledge of God, the key thing that I think many of us struggle with is the next one, which is obedience to God. Because you might know it, because a lot of you have been brought up in the church, so you know a lot about God. You know what the Bible says. But this is where we struggle, obedience to God. But if you know the Word of God, you have knowledge of God, you know what He desires, you know what He wants, and then by God's grace and His anointing and His power, you begin to obey the Word of God. You know what it does? That's when you will begin to know God more. This knowledge of God is just head knowledge. Here is by experience. So let's just say that you're trying to get intimate with God, to trust in Him more, that believe that He's good and He's going to provide for you. So you read that in Scripture that He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides for you. He cares for you. You see that in Scripture when He provided for the Israelites. Forty days and forty nights in the wilderness, God provided. You see just uh, 40 years. And then you see even God, Jesus Christ, being provided for in the 40 days and 40 nights. You see God providing. He even teaching, seek first to the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. He says, look at the lilies of the field, that they're clothed with all the beauty. And even when you think about the birds of the air, they, they don't have a place to rest their head, but God provides for them. So as you begin to gain the knowledge of God and what he says in his word, now the question for you is this, are you going to believe it? Are you going to obey it? Are you going to depend on it? Because once you do and you say, God, I'm going to trust in you, and guess what? He provides for you. Then that's when your, knowledge, your knowing of God deepens. Why? Because you knew of him just here, 
You obeyed by faith, and now by experience, you know him. And as you begin to know him in that way, guess what happens? You get more intimate with him. You could use this even in the same way in relationships, friendships, whatever it may be. That's what happens. You get to know them more and more, who they are, their likes and dislikes. And therefore, you want to try to please them, and you want to try to connect with them. And that's why when you give birthday presents, because you know who they are, and so you're able to trust them more. And when you're able to trust them more because of who they are, that's when you get closer to one another. This is the thing that I'm praying that all of us in this room will begin to understand. And that's why Psalm 19, verse 7 through 10, listen to what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It's to be more desired than any gold. Um, they are than gold. Even more refined, uh, fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. It's the same idea that God's word would become like honey to our lips because it is something that is pleasurable that we desire and we want. You can only get this by studying the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit who will put that desire in you. When you feel it, when you have this urge to study the Bible, obey and do it regardless of your schedule, regardless of the time, obey and see God working in your life. And that's why I believe that this is simply the gospel. We shared this before. This is a powerful passage in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was what? The Word, which is Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word of God, as we remember here, is, is Jesus. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he came into this world, and the light that many people rejected, now it has given light to those who live in darkness. This is what the Word of God can do in your life. If some of you are pre-Christians, you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Word of God can illuminate and help you to see the light. Those of you who are living in sin and you're struggling with a sin in your life, it is the Word of God, the light that will shine into your life and give you an abundance of life. Those of you who are going through different things in our lives, whatever it may be, that this is why you need the Word of God. May we study the Word of God so that we can get stronger. And as we're getting stronger, we're going to hunger for Him and His Word that much more. It is a cyclic thing. And as you hunger for God more, you're going to get stronger as you read the Word and study the Word. And as you get stronger, you're going to want to know Him more because you're going to see that everything He has said is true in your life. So I want to close with two things. First of all, prioritize studying God's Word and practice obeying God's Word. Those are the two things that I want to really encourage you with as the next thing, is to prioritize God's Word. Prioritize it, and then I want you to practice obeying it. This coming week, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. You're going to study it, and I pray that as you study it, that it will encourage you. You will see God's Word coming alive we're going to give you tools to help you to go deeper. Can I also just challenge this one thing? Some of you are doing soap. But that is like trying to see all the beautiful tropical fish in the kiddie pool. You won't. Some of the most beautiful things that you will find are out in the deep. And what I want to challenge you with is this. Don't do soap just for doing soap and you could look really spiritual or you could mark off a little task list. What I would try to encourage you with this, even if you cannot cover the whole chapter, just meditate on a couple things and just share what it is that Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. That's more important. It's reading the Word, studying it, listening to what God is trying to say to you through that passage. And then praying for faith and praying for courage to obey.
and just do it. And as you see God work in your obedience, it's going to strengthen your faith. And then you're going to want to know God more. And when you get to know God more, you're going to do it through studying the Word. And as you study the Word, what it's going to do is it's going to spark a faith inside of you to obey. And as you obey, you're going to get to know God more. As you get to know God more, you're going to be more intimate with Him. And that thing keeps on going. And guess what? Your life is going to be transformed before you know it. People will not be able to recognize you. Some of the things that you struggled with last year, God is going to set you free. Some of the things that your mindset is completely unbiblical and warped and you believe in the lies of the evil one, you're going to have a stronger mind. And in fact, people are going to be wondering what happened. And you're going to say, it's the word of God. It has become sweeter than honey to my lips because it is what I desire and what I take delight in. I pray that that will be our response. Let's stand together, shall we? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.